we kind of have a Montana look, a Montana theme, we call it, you know, rough, rough timbers, rough sidings, um, as it was back in yesteryear. It's very popular. It's warm. You, see, you know, I could drive around Montana and I can see bought a house with our siding on it from a long ways away. Hey, there's some of our siding. It's really cool doing that now because no matter where we go, it, we see something like that. It's taken a long time to get where we are today. It didn't happen overnight, but it's very gratifying when you see that. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So welcome to another episode of Friends of Build Magazine. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and I'm here with Steve Marks of Marks Lumber. And he is up in Montana. Uh, where are you, Steve? Are you in Missoula? We're in Clancy, Montana. We're south of Helena, 10 miles. Oh, you're close to, okay. Okay. Just off of the I-15. capital. Yep. So obviously you didn't start Mark's Lumber because it's 75 years old. Was this started by your, your dad? Yeah, so my, my uh, great-granddad migrated to Montana from, from Maine in the 1880s and and they settled in Clancy in 1890 and then my grandfather was born in 1900 and ranched and just by default they had a little sawmill and they cut mining timbers for the mines there's a lot of underground mines here in Mon- in this area of Montana and that kind of carried forth with my father and ranching and they used that to expand our ranching operations as well and then in the I came along in 1959 and, and was always on the ranch here. I've never left here. I'm 63 years old. And um, we were involved in cattle business and, and timber business. And, and then we started ranching, my wife and I did full-time in 1984. And then very depressed cattle prices, and we had a crash. And, okay. and got, had some uh, financial obligations we had to meet. So we started sawing timber. And my father and my dad, uh, grandfather, had an old mill and we just remodeled a little bit and and we started sawing railroad cross ties and um, did very well at that and it just morphed into this uh, business we have today at Mark's Lumber. We have 24 or 5 employees and so that's how it happened and it was kind of by default but um, a passion for forestry and a passion for creating a, a good product out of the of managing for us as well. So. so I was with somebody uh, either yesterday or the day before, and they were talking about the forest and how, you know, with the environment that we're in right now, managing the forest with all the forest fires, with all the, the green initiatives. And their comment was, if you don't cut the trees, like, 
like lumber lumber mills are not cutting old growth they're cutting second third fourth growth and living in Oregon and Washington and I, my wife is from Vancouver BC so we're very familiar with the forest and forest management how is that how is that pressure from the outside affected you and your business well it's made us uh, i guess want to promote uh good forestry more and i've got a passion for what does good forestry mean steve what does good forestry mean yeah so i think good forestry means um taking care of our forests we got to thin them and and take care of the defect that are that's there bugs um different uh just poor healthy trees to grown too tight open the canopy up and let them trees be vibrant so they can capture and, and sequester carbon. Stagnant forests and unhealthy forests don't don't do that as well as a, a vibrant forest. Um, they need space to grow. And if you look at a tree or a forest that's been thinned and look at the release in the structure of the wood, you know, the growth rings, it's just phenomenal in any forest. It is? It yeah. is? Oh, okay. yes. Um, in here in Montana, we have this mountain uh, pine beetle come through in there in the 087 and 08, 09. And the, the forests that have had active management and space those uh, trees out and they could get some sunlight, the, the mountain pine beetle did not fare well. But where they were dense forest, lodgepole pine stands and heavy pine stands just wiped them out, had, you know, 90% mortality. And, and now we're dealing with cleaning that stuff up. But um, so if we have healthy forests, we have clean water, clean air, healthy communities and and good jobs. And that's what good forestry means to me. We don't like breathing smoke all summer long. Right. You know, and that's part of having a good forest is the fire gets on the ground. They uh, firefighters can have somewhat of a chance of of containing it. And if we have a forest that's choked full of undergrowth and have ladder fuels to get that up into the canopies. We have very hot, hot fires and devastate, devastating communities, burn a lot of communities. You know, does it create or does it save all? Um, is it a save all managing forest? No, we're, we're not going to, we're not with uh, forest management. We cannot guarantee that we're going to keep fires from burning towns down, but we can sure as heck make a difference. And I think it's, I, I use the analogy of, our, of a garden or a lawn. You don't, you don't plant that garden or your lawn and just walk away. You have to take care of it. And that's what we have to do with our forest. We have to take care of them. And, and I think that the uh, work that we've done with uh, Julia here, Mark Lumber, on this um, active forest management, that's the kind of message we want to get out to the general public. I think some of that stuff is maybe a bit too deep uh, and bring it down to the grassroots level where people can understand it. And, and I think it's been fairly successful. We've got a lot of recognition out of uh, what we're doing here. So, so I almost feel like, uh, you know, I, I live in Bend and we've lived there for 20 years and Certain years are hot forest years along Washington, Oregon, and California. California, because of the the heat, 
you know, general heat seems to uh, combust a whole lot more. And yet you hear a lot of things in regards to the forest that we just need to leave them. We don't need to clean them. We don't need to management. And yet I can't imagine the National Forest um, uh, Foundation or whatever, you know, I'm just Bureau of Land Management that probably understands exactly what you're talking about, why they don't clean it up. Well, we get fires, Steve, every year, and they're massive. Yes. You know, the litigant society we live in, um, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a segment of the population that doesn't think that uh, a private company should be able to get a product off the forest and make a dollar. And how you um, manage forests without having somebody turn a profit is beyond me, but it doesn't work. And I know I've been out to Bend. I've come to Bend many times and uh, biked out there in those forests that have been treated, and they're yep. beautiful. You see those big trees that are left, and it's outstanding. And then, and then you go to the forests that aren't managed, and look what happens when they burn. It's, it's devastating. And, um, you know, the, the recreationists, I think, for the most part, what I re- recognized in, when I was out there, the bikers, they have, they, there was a lot of people, they didn't hate it so much that they didn't go recreate. So, you know, we, everybody has to use the forest for something. Recreation, timber harvest, grazing, um, mining, it all comes from Mother Earth, and we just got to take care of it. Okay, so, so you just took my brain in another spot, and that is, the trees live and survive on carbon monoxide, right? Correct. Yes, they sequester it. Yes, they pull it in. Yes. So if we become a carbon neutral society and we don't have any carbon monoxide, how do the trees survive? Well, there's a natural process, and I'm not an expert or scientist on this, but okay. you know, a dead tree laying there on the, on the ground is emitting carbon monoxide. The green trees sucking it in. So there's a natural phenomenon going there. Didn't know that. Um, okay. And but the emitting of carbon monoxide by whatever whatever we all do, um, they say it's a problem. I guess it probably is. But plant life absorbs CO two. Agriculture, timber, whatever's growing absorbs it. And what's nice about wood is when that tree is cut we can sequester that into homes and other wood products. So that there's people I was talking. That doesn't happen in a steel or a concrete building. So these people I was talking to a couple of days ago, they said uh, forests are just like plants or they're just like corn or they're just like anything that we take from the earth. And if we don't take it, it's going to rot, decay and be worthless. So it's, if we don't use it, we're going to lose it. And so if we don't cut down the trees and then replant them, what does that do to our forests? Well, and those trees hit the ground and they're emitting carbon dioxide and we don't have a healthy forest there sucking that up. It's just, it's just adding to the problem in my eyes. Okay. Isn't it, it, isn't, doesn't, it isn't zero. It's a positive instead of a net negative. 
That's interesting. I bet you most people don't even think about this because when we were starting our conversation, I was, I was more interested in what's happening with lumber prices, which I do want to talk about. Um, what's, what's happening with, uh, the housing market, which obviously a lumber yard is deeply vested into what's going on there. And then we start talking about how to manage forests and these people that I talked to literally two days ago. Anyway, it's just, it's a, it's a very fascinating, managing the forest is super intriguing, um, especially when you live on the West Coast. Yeah, and your forests out there are so vibrant and grow so well because of the moisture. Our, our wood here is very slow growing and we don't see that um, rate of return or rate of regrowth like you do out there in your forests that have, uh, re, you know, new, new trees seeded. Um, that's very, very slow here. Our wood is so much stronger here in the inland than it is on the West Coast because our growth rings are so tight. We have very little growth per year where, you know, they can grow a tree out there harvestable in 50, 60 years. Takes, okay. You know, we can do that in a lodgepole here, but our fur is much older than that and makes it stronger. But, um, yeah, look at the look at those old uh, clear cuts on the side of the mountain in, in Oregon and Washington that have been replanted. They're beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And, and they grow so that, fast, to your point. They got good, I, sun, I, good moisture. Well, I go to the Olympic Peninsula a few times a year because I do business in the uh, uh, northwest Washington area. And to see, they will have signs. Oh, this this uh, was replanted in 1947. This was replanted in 1985. And you can actually see the difference. And it's amazing how quickly it grows. Yeah. And I think that's good that them folks do that so people understand this stuff grows back and they can get a visual on it. Yeah. You know, um, in Montana here, driving down through Island Park, which is near Yellowstone, um, there's signs along the highway, the same thing. This was harvested in 1970. This was 75. Okay. It's, it's just a visual that helps people understand what forestry is about. We need to do a better job, Steve, of educating people. And maybe that's what you do at Mark's Lumber. Yes, and that you know, and that's one of the uh, things that we hire Julia for to to write blogs and just be proactive on what good forestry means to the public, and 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 in turn, we wanted to drive people to our business as well. So I think it's been fairly successful. It's been expensive, but I didn't think it was the message wasn't getting out locally. There's you know, healthy forest, healthy communities foundation does a good job, but they can't do it all for everybody. I think it needs to be more localized. So we took that upon ourselves to do that. And it's been um, pretty far reaching. So I'm, I'm super impressed with the fact that you said you were 63. So I'm going to bring that up again. You, you've been doing this since 1984, I think you said. And here you hire somebody like Julia to take you in or add another you know, add another limb on your, on your pole or on your tree. Right. Yeah. And having the fourth thought of, well, you know, we just want to look after the best interest of the business as opposed to, oh, you know what? I'm getting close to retirement. You know, maybe we should just kind of slow down and all that stuff. I think it's pretty admirable that you are forward thinking enough to want to incorporate this into your business. Well, um, how that happened is quite miraculous, but, um, when we started Mark's Lumber, you know, it was just a local yard and we started doing different products and and then 
you know, as you grow a business, you how how do we how do we make the ball bigger? And so we started doing some stuff on the internet, and you know, I don't know I don't know anything about this stuff. I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I wouldn't expect I, you to. I recognize that um, we needed to. We were writing blogs ourselves. We weren't good at writing, and I said to my, Jeremy, I said, you know, we need to hire us a writer. And um, then you start putting the numbers together, and you're writing, a, you know, hiring a writer that you pay well is very expensive. So, well, we'll make this writer, we'll make this job as you know, somebody can do advertising, do our advertising for us, and and then write um, good things. So, I uh, this friend, Julia's father, um, known him for years, and I kind of kept track of his kids and. I was talking to Matt one day, and I said, what's Julia doing these days? And she said, oh, she's just graduating from college in um, journalism. Oh, really? So I talked to him, and, and she's looking for a job. I said, wow, I wonder if she'd be interested in working for us. So we made contact with her, and, you know, it went very well. And uh, we gave her an assignment. For, she, she had about two months left of school. I said, we gave her an assignment of writing a public interest story on outdoor living and as a, and in pergolas. I said, you can ask me one question, and you can ask my salesman one question. So she did, and she blew it off the charts. And, uh, and we ended up hiring her, and it's just, been, it's just been awesome. She's very smart, probably one of the most articulate um, young ladies that is just, I don't know where she gets it, but she is just all there. And, um, it's been a huge, huge blessing for our company. So, um, I don't know, it's been, it's been a pretty cool ride. So, how long has she been with you? Oh, Julia's been here, I don't know, probably three years, I think, two and a half. Oh, a long years. time. Okay. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think three years. So has she had any impact as far as your vision for the company? Um, oh, that's a good question. You know, she has had a, yeah, I think she has, because she keeps, you know, she just keeps it, uh, that kicking that ball down the road, a, a vision of, writing in public interest stories that are interesting. Yep. And with that, this is what happened. She, um, we have got a ton of recognition in the last year and some awards and that okay. would, I'm not an award chasing guy, um, right. but from what she has done writing, it's um, got us in the face of people that see that and recognize that, Hey, look at these folks here. They're doing a good job. And, and I end up as the owner getting accolades for that one really it's all of us here it's right you know i'm the i'm the leader i see the vision i guess and i've hired people that can carry that vision out and she has done a very remarkable job of that well the re yeah and so the reason i ask is because i find myself the better the people that we hire then all of a sudden the business starts to grow and it improves your vision because now instead of working in the business, you're working on the business. You look at it from 30,000 feet instead of, I got 25 families I'm responsible for. Yeah, you know, and that's exactly right. I, 
there's a guy, a customer of ours that is a little bit older than me, and he's grown a construction company into a multi-million dollar business. Okay. And I've idolized him, and I never talked to this guy, but I watched what he did and what he's done, and he hires really good people and um, been very successful. I, and, I, and, that's, and I started thinking about that, and I said, you know, if I'm going to go anywhere, I need to have good people. And I've got good people. I've got 25 really good employees, and I've got some really, really good employees. But they're all good employees. And we work hard at um, treating those people good and appreciating what they all bring to the table on an individual basis. And, you know, I wouldn't be, and I've said this many times, none of us in the successful world wouldn't be anywhere without the people that are underneath us. And we're bringing them I along. totally agree with you. I 100% agree with you. And, uh, we we tr- Steve, we tried for years, and I, w- I invested, I mean, a significant amount of money into our website and could never get any traction, could never get on page one, tried a variety of things, just didn't have the right people. And then I hired this, the guy who's been with me, I want to say it's like four, maybe five years. And now if you Google custom home builders in Whitefish, we're on page one, or you Google it in Scottsdale, we're on page one. And now we do these podcasts, which is um, our guy, Greg, who was talking with Jeremy just before you got on, and he's made all the difference in the world, which is why I asked the question about Julia, is because now all of a sudden things start to work and your brand becomes bigger. It's not just Steve Marks, it's your company brand. Yes. And and now it's it's less about, hey, I need to sell a two-by-four, and it's this is who we are. This is where what we stand for. Um, yeah, it's just fascinating, which is why I said, because it's happened to me, is I look at what, or I listen to what you're saying about Julia, and I just go, I wonder if that has changed to a degree your paradigm as far as where you thought the business was going to go five years ago and today where you've gone to. And now all of a sudden, you've probably got a bigger horizon. Which keeps you young and excited. You don't want to retire because then you die. Right. You know, and it has, uh, not just Julia, but all my folks, I, we just are in the middle of a big mill expansion here, and we're going to be okay. here the next two or three weeks. And it's a very significant investment. And I thought, is this the right thing to do? And uh, it was hard. I, I was either, I was at the point in the in the manufacturing process, I either had to jump ship or invest heavily and and continue on. And um, we are in a real sweet spot here because we're a custom mill, and we've developed a good reputation that I I couldn't just quit. I don't have a lot of quit in me. I've been through some tough times, and um, we just buckled down and you got to tighten up your belt and work through it. And uh, so I think that, you know, with the recognition we got last year, it does, definitely does pump a guy up. It's like, holy smoke, what are we doing right here? Um, so that was really uh, gratifying. And, and like I said, she was a huge part of that. And she does sales. And, and, you know, I don't want to begrudge any of the other folks that work in the office here, our leadership team. She's the youngest gal here, but she is really... 
what we wanted to do, she is doing with a gold star. So. And how does that affect the rest of the team? You know, I'm going to guess she's 25 years old because she's been out of college for three years. And how well, does that? She's a very humble, very humble. We, we have a saying around here, humble, hungry, smart. And she is humble. She doesn't beat her drums, and I don't. Um, it's, all, it's all teamwork. Um, and that's just how we are. We work hard as a team. Jeremy does as a, as a production manager. And Julia work closely together, um, and we have meetings weekly and go through stuff. And some of it's not very fun things that we go through, you know, as any organization does. Yeah, make tough decisions, and but we do it as a team. And I think that's been our success here is we just have a good team. So part of the reason for us doing the podcast is because we've got some incredible clients that are dealing with multimillionaires and billionaires as their clients. And they all started out humble. They all started out, most of them started out with nothing. They weren't silver spoon people. Uh, they got an idea and they ran with it. But one constant, Steve, um, and, and you just tipped on it. So I want you to tell me a funny story is you said, I don't have much quit in me. So you've got to have some stories because <laughs> I'm a firm believer that the times when you get kicked on the head and you get, you know, or the pitcher has brushed you off and hit you right in the head, those are the times where you got back to the plate, hit the home run, and those are the more fun stories. You got to have some funny stories about, you know, getting brushed off and getting knocked down and coming back strong. Oh, man. Um, where do you start, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, when I was in high school or even younger, um, we were, there were six of us kids in our family, and I was always messing around on equipment and just have, me and my brother, one brother in particular, and we just were just like to do stuff. And we worked. We had to work hard. My dad, we put up hay by hand, and it was hard work. But we, he taught us um, how to really focus and, and work and stay with it. And... Um, and do better tomorrow than you did today. And that's been a, a real um, good piece of wisdom there. And I've always done that. I just, you know, you're going to stumble, you're going to trip, you're going to fall flat on your face. You get up, you brush your hands off, and you learn from it. And, you know, we've all had wrecks in business. Um, yep. My biggest financial wreck was when I started ranching. We had about 300 mother cows at the time. Some land came available. We bought 300 more cows, so we had 550, 600 mother cows. It was in 1880, the fall of 83. We bought those cows in December, brought them home. We started calving about 15th of January. So the 1st of March, we had about 400 calves on the ground, and we got a snowstorm from hell and we lost uh these 150 calves uh three four feet of snow and those you hear these stories it's just no it's no different than any other ranch but we we were leveraged um we borrowed the money for the feed the cattle and 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 then cattle prices were terrible and i owed the bank's money i had to pay it back and uh it took me 10 years 
but I paid every last penny of it back and we grew from that and we learned from that. Um, and that was probably, it was a real lesson, you know, you, you need to think outside of the box. You need to look beyond the horizon and just be persistent, pay attention. And, uh, that was a tough one. That was probably, that was my first tough one. And so then what was that 40 years ago? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So just about 40 years ago, we made, we, we grew out of that and we morphed into what we are today from that. Um, it just took a lot of time. Uh, and then in, uh, the recession here in 08, 09, I bought a, I bought a bunch of equipment. We, we, uh, were successful in a 10 year stewardship contract with the Bureau of Land Management here. And we bought a pile of equipment and, uh, we were to grind, uh, all the waste on this project and ship it to a, a facility in Missoula, Montana. And I remember at 10 o'clock one night, I got a phone call from the forester. He said, we're done taking all the material tonight at midnight. And I just borrowed a million dollars at the time with a ton of money. And it still is. It is. Yes. And, uh, I thought, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I just, I had made contacts with some folks. We'd been doing business with some folks in Idaho that were used a lot of ground material and um, got through it. But it was um, it was tough. And, and I just learned from that to be ready to be versatile and not be afraid to try something new that fits your program. And um, versatility has been a huge success with us because we don't go off and get into a complete different line of work it's always been something wood related or forestry. okay so we've we've done that and we've done pretty well at it there were there were a couple of the lessons that i've learned um try to always stand by my word i i do what i say and and say what i do um i've done a ton of work on a handshake and i made right out of wrongs you know that we stumble onto in life and um just uh yeah just get after it kick i call it kicking the ball down the road and try to be a better person uh tomorrow than you were today i guess i think that's probably a good philosophy and i think hopefully our younger generation at some point understands hard work is not an allergy it's a necessity yeah you know i think another thing that is important is in whether you're in business or you're just um, an employee with people or whomever, is to surround yourself with good people. That's so important in uh, just in everyday life. And you've noticed being around people that just don't don't uh, vibe, you know, with you. They're no fun to be around. And no. so I've, I've focused on doing that. I just like to be around people that are positive and uplifting. Um, and it's, it makes a huge difference. I, uh, I heard a story about John Huntsman, the uh, gentleman from Utah who grew up in, I think he grew up in Jerome, Idaho. Or no, Burley, Idaho. And he would do things on a handshake and, and the story went, and he ended up spending $273 million of his own money 
on the Huntsman Cancer Clinic at the University of Utah. My son went to the University of Utah, so we know a little bit about it. But he did a deal with a division of, uh, of Shell, which was called Great Lakes Oil, and the deal was he sold a portion of his company for $53 million, and the president of, of Great Lakes Oil six months later came to him and said, John, your company has done incredibly well. My lawyers have dragged their feet on this deal. And he said, it's not a fair deal for you now because we valued your company instead of $53 million at $250 million. So we need to come up with something in the middle that's reasonable for both parties. And he looked at the guy and he goes, I shook your hand at $53 million. I expect not a penny more. Yeah. Money yeah. shouldn't be the driving force. That should be the byproduct of doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. So, um, I want to switch gears, and I want to, because everybody today, I'm just in the process of building a house, everybody is screaming about lumber prices. Can you give us some shiny lights on the horizon? Well, you know, the futures market today is half of what it was three weeks ago. I think uh, starting up. off well, <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, it's coming down hard. Um, you know, you know, it's a supply and demand issue. Uh, okay. And it's really unfair when the uh, national home builders associations, um, accuses the sawmills and lumber manufacturing facilities of price gouge. And it's, it's nothing's further from the truth. Um, okay. It's a commodity. It's traded as a commodity. When there's a shortage of the commodity, price goes up. It's like it's like wheat and hay, or whatever it is, or gold, silver. It's all commodity. And when we have a shortage, price goes up. Well, look what our housing starts were the last couple of years with this zero money. It's through the roof. And right. There, was, there wasn't a lot of of uh, commodity out there available. Mills were holding the inventory very tight because of, of low commodity prices. They didn't like a lot sitting around. Well, it was, it was a perfect trap. Anyway, um, so, yeah, is, was it unfortunate? Yes, it is unfortunate that for the homeowners that the Malumber market was so high. But there was a lot of blood on the, on the uh, paper, if you will, at these mills that were producing lumber. They were at loss for a lot of years, and it's healed a lot of them up, and they've been able to automate mills, a lot of them. And uh, so there's good and bads to it, but it's um, it's coming down. I don't know what, you know, I'm not an economist. I, I know what a little bit about how it works, but um, I'm fearful that we're going to, this inflation is going to continue to rise. Um Housing starts are going to slow way down as interest goes, and we're going to have a and we'll have a glut of lumber, and it's going to get cheap again. So, what goes up comes down. It's been up for quite a while, and it's been a good ride. But um, it's it's everything. Look at concrete and steel. It's the yep. same. It's just through the roof. Uh, so, I think we'll see a moderation of that. I'm I'm hoping that falls as well because obviously those are huge components to building your house. It's no different than uh, everybody screaming at the oil companies because their profits are record breaking, and yet they're afraid to take 
those profits and reinvest them into new wells because they don't trust what the government's going to do to them. You wouldn't want to invest millions, if not billions of dollars into drilling wells only to have the government say, yeah, you're not allowed to to utilize that. I mean, so they just let it sit there in the bank and that's not what they want to do. No, no, it's unfortunate. Look at our fuel prices are today. We use a lot of fuel here and it's we're paying five dollars a gallon for off-road fuel on our heavy equipment, and it's just—it's yep. just, crippling. It's terrible. Yeah, um, you know, five dollars and five dollars and sixty cents a gallon for five dollars and eighty cents a gallon for diesel fuel for our trucks on the road. Uh, that is so crippling to these trucking companies. It's just—you um, know—they use five, six miles a gallon on yep. newer, trucks. You know, older trucks are worse than that. Uh, I don't know where it's going to stop, but it's 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 crippling for sure. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get some uh, some sanity uh, in Washington and just keep things moderate, not not yeah. radical on either side. Yeah, for sure. Moderation is a good thing. Yes, you know, I always tell people keep it between the forties. Don't get radical on either side. Just keep it reasonable. But, you know, um, what fuel prices are right now, I can't help but think we're going to have a slowdown in everything because, you know, the, the guy pulling his camper with a diesel pickup or a, a three-quarter ton pickup is not going to be going on trips and having fun. It just, and food, everything is just so expensive. So, you know, we, we've raised our delivery rates. We had to. And, and the contractors understand it. The homeowners uh don't like it, but it's just just the world we're living in right now. Yeah, it's a little bizarre. There's no doubt about it. So, what what is one of your most valuable experiences that you've had over forty years of business? Well, what's I think an experience that you went through that you didn't like, and you came out the other side and you go, "I am so glad we figured it out." You know, I think. You know, having some employees, we've had some employees here that we thought were good. I mean, they were good. And they left and we thought, wow, we should have done this sooner. You get, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And they were, good, <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were good people, but you don't understand sometimes what, um, what the wrong person in a place does. And I think that was a valuable lesson for me just to look a little um, look out, just broaden my view a little. You know, when you have a small company, your employees become your friends. And um, when it comes time for discipline, yeah. um, you, you know what it's like. It's hard because they're your friend. You don't want to be, you want to, you want to be nice. You don't want to be hurtful. But um, so that's, that's been a, a, a lesson, I guess. It's probably kind of a hard lesson that uh I've looked at it differently now. Um, you know, and we've had, we've been named in a couple lawsuits on material for homes that were constructed by a craftsman that weren't, didn't do good work. And, you know, our insurance uh, covered us. We, it was nothing on our part, but we had, um, we had technical um, witnesses professional witnesses come in and, and uh, from universities, uh, wood science, um, look at our process and, you know, then went to mediation and all that unfun, unfun things. But 
I think that those two uh, lawsuits, um, we came out good on them. It, we found we were doing everything right. We had policy procedure, and it wasn't our any of it was our uh, fault. Um, they're very unfortunate things for the homeowner, and it's not fun going through those. But we learned a ton about that, about doing what's right and what that does for your organizations. You know, not taking shortcuts because we had policies and procedure in place, and then we're good. Uh, was a fun learning, but we we learned a lot. I learned a lot from that stuff, and um, and just being uh, knowing in your heart that you're doing the right thing, and it comes out and shows that you're doing the right thing, is yep. is, is gratifying. Well, and also your your team looks at you as a leader, and they know when people take shortcuts. They know when people do the right thing, and it just elevates your statue with your team. Because you always want them to be willing to go to battle for you. Exactly. And, you know, one of my big things is honesty and trust. And as a matter if it's in a re- relationship with my wife or, or an employee, if you don't have trust, if you can't trust someone, it's, it's a f- recipe for disaster. And um, I've made that very clear with my folks. Um, if you think you need something, don't steal it from me. Ask me for it. I'll probably give it to you. But don't right. lie, don't lie to me, and just be honest with everybody. And I think um, you know. I think that's if you live by that, everything will work out. Something tells me you've been married forty years. Forty three in uh, June. Uh, it was May 26, 43 years. Yeah. You know, don't you don't you look at the news and just shake your head because all of the theatrics that you see going on if we just uh live by the simple golden rule, believed in God, was honest with our family, friends and people around us, treated them the way we wanted to be treated, uh all this circus that's around us wouldn't be there. Wouldn't sell much news, but who needs it anyway? I know. I, I, I'm sickened by what we see in our papers daily. It's, uh, daily. It's just tearing our country to pieces, and how people cannot see that is just beyond me. Well, I, I truly believe if we, if we look at what's happening in the elections, I think that most Americans do see it because yeah. at the core— like we immigrated here 21 years ago from Canada and now we're American citizens and and we love America and we we've, we've been all over the world with our kids we take them everywhere with us and when you come back to America we're not perfect no place is uh it's a pretty people want to immigrate here for a reason they don't want to immigrate to China exactly yeah no it, it is a great place and we have I haven't been all over the world I've been around a little bit but um there's nothing better than coming home to where we live, I'll tell you. You don't have to go yeah. far. No. No. Now, I will tell you, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that you've probably heard this. The area that you live in sure has gotten a lot of press with uh, the TV show Yellowstone. Yeah. I don't watch and, it. Well, I don't watch much TV, but that is one show, and, and Montana looks fantastic, and I get excited every time I go there. 
because it really, we've been to all 50 states and Montana's in the top five. Yeah, it is a beautiful, you know, especially this year where we live here, we've gotten a lot of rain here and it's just green like a lawn, um, quite different than last year, but it is a beautiful state. Um, we got good people here and good value. Most generally, you know, values are good, but um, that's definitely driving people here from from your state as well as is Washington. They're tired of what's happening there in the social structure, so they're flooding in yep. Montana. And I can't say that I blame them. Well, just you know, once again, hopefully those people that are leaving those states, and obviously they're leaving California in droves. Um, hopefully they're understanding that what they're leaving, they don't want to bring those values and replicate them because they'll just turn it into the next, you know, Montana into the next California or Oregon. We don't want, we don't want to see that. No, we don't. We want to keep what we have. And that's the, that's the flip side of having this massive growth that we're having is you, you do get some of that, but, um, hopefully we won't lose what we have. So. Uh, I want to circle back to, uh, and I've got a couple of questions as we wrap this up, but I'm most fascinated with this, with what you're talking about with um, harvesting timber, being responsible in the forest, managing the forest so that we minimize the forest fires. Old growth, there is no control to old growth. And do those trees not get crowded? Do they not become a forest hazard? Boy, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty emotional question out there with the uh, with the green people in particular. But um, as far as forest health goes, um, if we if all of our trees were old growth, um, we wouldn't be sequestering very much carbon because those trees are pretty much done growing. They're just kind of coasting along. They're not they're not sucking in any of that carbon. Are they healthy? Are they healthy? Some are, some aren't. Um, okay. Uh, so do we cut old growth here? Yeah, we probably get a few trees in here as old growth. I guess what's, what's considered old? A hundred years in a person is old. Eighty years in a person is old. Uh, right. A thousand years in a redwood, is that old? That's probably, I consider that ancient. But um, oh. so... You know, we can't have all old growth forests because they're not going to, you know, you're not getting anything back. You got to have a new, got to have new crops coming up. It's like a wheat field. You know, they grow, it, it's a short term deal, but it gets harvested, it gets replanted, and it grows again. So um, it's, a, it's, a, we got to, yeah, we should have old growth around. Do we cut every old growth that's out there? No, we don't. Uh, so I guess, I don't know if that answers your question, but. Uh, well, I, I mean, to a degree, you, you kind of answered it. I know that it becomes an emotional thing, but, but those people typically that are emotional are also paid employees of somebody who there's a means to why they want, um, whether it's Greenpeace or whoever it is. Um, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm just thinking, you know, just because you're screaming at me doesn't mean I'm listening at it any better. And it's yeah. like, can we not have a civil conversation where I have an opinion and so do you? And yeah. I value your opinion because it's important to you. Therefore, you should value mine because it's important to me. And let's come to an agreement somewhere in the middle. I look at, I look at around Bend, the uh, national, uh, you know, the, the 
uh, forest rangers have done a good job of cleaning up the forest so that it doesn't become a tinderbox. And yet when we go down, it doesn't mean it doesn't burn because some years we have active fires and other years we don't. Um, when we first moved there, we had two consecutive years, 03 and 04, and it was brutal and we didn't even understand it. And we lived in British Columbia for 15 years. Um, and then I go to California and California is always on the news because they don't manage their forests the same way they do in, in Oregon. And I just wish that there needs to be, instead of a political football, it's let's look after the best interests of the forest. Yeah. And listening to you gives me a completely different perspective than what I see on the news or hear on the news. You're not sensationalized, but you're based in fact of this is how to manage something. But you've also lived it. It's been your living for 45 years. Yeah, you know, um, I guess my dad said, you know, we don't own this ground. We just get to take care of it for a while. Yeah. You know, and that's very, very truthful. And um, you don't see very many of the, the, the green side of this world doing anything to a forest to make it healthy. Whereas people in the timber industry and foresters and, and the Forest Service tries to do it, and the same with BLM, but we're, we're trying to take care of a resource that God give us to yep. provide, provide to others. And, and that's what I've just always believed. I want to make that, I want to make this healthier than it was yesterday, clean up the dead, invigorate the new growth, um, and, and create healthy forests, healthy communities, clean water, clean air. We all breathe and need that stuff every day. And, uh, you know, you, you, the old growth, you know, you look at, uh, have you ever been down the uh, McKenzie River Trail over yes. this hill there from you? Yep. You know, that, that's, that's absolutely stunning. And I just love going down there. Look at them huge trees. It's, it's cool. And it would, it would be a shame if that got cut, you know, cut out um, along the corridor there. There's places for that, and there's other places that we need to harvest that timber. Um, we, we didn't get America like we are by not cutting a tree. Right. You know, it was a huge it, thing, especially during the wars. And so, we need to manage it. Exactly. Yeah. Was it was it managed wrong? Most likely, it probably was managed wrong. But um, it's it's a lot different now today than it was fifty years ago because we've learned so much. It's just like ourselves. You know, we act a lot different now than we did when we were thirteen or eighteen because we've learned yep. so much and gained by all the mistakes. And so. Um, Education-wise, uh, in the universities and school forestries throughout the region, they don't teach what they did 50 years ago. They're teaching what we know and have learned from the mistakes that were made. That's so, right. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's an ignorance of saying we can't manage for us. It's pure ignorance. Well, Steve, I want to thank you for uh, taking an hour and talking with us today. I find what you're doing to be incredibly fascinating. Oh, there is one question before I yeah. leave, because I think this would be really interesting for people listening. What are some of the things, you mentioned that you do a lot of specialty wood. What is some of the things that you create or homeowners can create in these high-end homes that when their friends come in, they go, 
holy smokes, that is a really cool, whether it's finishings or doing something with wood in their homes. Feature walls. Yeah, our most popular one is our circle saw and flooring. It's very unique. It's um, our mill is an old style mill. It's got a head rig. It's got a circle saw on it. We make the. It's got a pr- very prevalent um, texture, and we we cut that and in match it. And um, it's very warm. It's easy to take care of. It's relatively cheap, um, as compared to other other things. But um, timbers, timber framing. We do, we, my son does some timber framing for us and it's just, and you know, it's all of that. I, I want to say our floors are cheap. They aren't, they are, they're not cheap, but um, in the long term, they are, they'll last for as long as you're going to be around. And uh, most, most flooring in homes um, these days are a composite of some time. They've got a bunch of yep. glue. This stuff all came from the earth. It doesn't have any compo- any glues in it or formaldehydes. It's safe. Um, it's warm. It's durable. And our timber frames are um, it's something that came from 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 above, and that's just really um, inviting and a warmth. And uh, yeah, so. That's it's fun when people come into the office and say, "Oh man, we love our floor, we love our timbers, or whatever." You know. Well, I just think of walking into uh, there's a hardware store in Lakeside called Sillers. I don't know if you know them. Yeah. Uh, But it's but it's an old hardware store, and you walk in, and it's got those old wood floors that are worn, and they are awesome. Yeah. Uh, You just it just looks so cool, and and. uh, it just maybe it takes us back to our childhood, or I, I just remember growing up seeing that stuff, and I just think it's it's romantic. Yeah. It looks great, you know. And that's you know we call our our uh, we kind of have a Montana look, a Montana theme. We call it you know rough rough timbers, rough sidings, um, as it was back in yesteryear. It's very popular. It's warm. You see, you know I could drive around Montana and. And when I see one, I can see bought a house with our siding on it from a long ways away. Hey, there's some of our siding. And it's just, it's really cool doing that now because no matter where we go, it, we see something like that. And it's, um, you know, it's taken a long time to get where we are today. It didn't happen overnight. But it's, it's very gratifying when you see that. It's got to be great. Hey, that's our stuff. Yes. Yeah. There's some there. So. Yeah. So, uh, so Steve, thanks for uh, thanks for being part of this episode of Friends of Build Magazine, and until next time, I'm Ted Bainbridge. I appreciate you guys listening. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine Podcasts.